by all indications, Shohei Otani is somebody who whose number one priority when he's picking his new team is that he wants to join a winner. And so for the Giants, given their current roster is obviously not that attractive, wouldn't they be wise to go out and make a move now before ultimately making a legitimate Otani pursuit? You are Locked On Giants, your daily San Francisco Giants podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to Locked On Giants, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. My name is Ben Kaspic, and on this show, we provide daily episodes Monday through Friday, talking about the San Francisco Giants in a way that's data-driven and rational, but also simple, passionate, and accessible to all. I'm a former contributor for the baseball statistics and analysis websites Beyond the Box Score and Rotographs. I've been podcasting about the Giants since 2015, and I'm a lifelong fan. Thank you for making Locked on Giants your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever it is that you get your podcasts, including YouTube. So check us out there if you have not already, and please hit that subscribe button wherever it is that you're following the show. And coming up on today's show, we're going to jump into some mailbag questions. As always, you guys came through clutch with like a zillion questions and so we're just going to jump right in the first question uh two people asked similar questions and so drew says if the giants want to improve their chances of landing otani wouldn't it be wise to make a splash move soon to show him we're serious about winning Hard to believe he'd be excited about joining joining this current roster and manny says, will the Giants make any signings prior to any Otani news? Last year, they waited for Judge while most of the top talent signed elsewhere. I wouldn't want them to make the same mistake again. And so these are good points that I hadn't really thought of myself, um, but I really should have. Uh, and I think I earlier said there was a question in a the last time we did a mailbag about like would Otani hold up the market and I was like yes I think he will hold up the market um, but but this makes me completely reconsider that in that yeah I mean if you like okay adding Shohei Otani would just be such a huge deal to the San Francisco Giants and it would be the headliner obviously of any move that they could make because he's the best free agent out there but. Even if they got Otani in this dream scenario in which they somehow get Otani, that can't be all that they do, especially because next year he's not going to pitch. And so uh, they would still need to add pitching. And so, yeah, I mean, go out there and make a splash. Go sign Yoshinobu Yamamoto like today. He's available to sign. Just blow him away. And, I mean, it depends on if you think he... uh, being Yamamoto would want to play under the shadow of Shohei Otani. All of this is speculative and unlikely, you know, to get Yamamoto and Otani, like either one of those guys would be a slam dunk, like great result for the Giants. But yes, I think absolutely. Like I'm with you. Just the whole waiting game. Some teams just jump out and get the guys they want. And I would absolutely like to see the Giants do that, especially if they're planning to make a legitimate run at Otani. 
Otani, <clears throat> excuse me, they, yeah, make the make themselves more attractive. Be active. Do something. And granted, I'll point out that like nothing has happened really, um, except Aaron Nola re-signing with the Phillies of significance in free agency yet. And so, but I, I don't know. I'm with you 100%. Next questions. Again, two similar questions. D says, would we trade for Mike Trout? And SF Sports Fam says, what would a trade package look like for Juan Soto, Pete Alonso, or Mike Trout? And who would be the best fit for the Giants? And who is your preference? And so straight to the point to answer D's question, question, would we trade for Trout? I see no reason why they would not trade for a guy who has as recently as a couple years ago been like the slam dunk best player in baseball. And yes, he's kind of dealt with some injuries and he's not getting any younger and he signed through 2030. Um, but when this guy is on the field, he's still absolutely one of the best players in baseball. And so would they? They absolutely would. And should they? They absolutely should. And so when it comes to uh, SF Sports fam's question about what would a trade package look like for Soto, Alonzo, or Trout, Soto and Alonzo are in their own category here because they are both in their last year of team control. So a trade pack, I've kind of discussed this before, but a trade package for Soto would probably look somewhat similar to what the trade package looked like for Mookie Betts when the Dodgers got him, which was less than you would think. Although that trade involved money kind of going, the Dodgers took on a few years of David Price's contract. So they essentially paid money to make the prospect return lower and they give up Alex Verdugo. They gave up Jeter Downs, who was considered, I don't know, like a top, was it top 25, top 50 prospect? There wasn't a huge return for the Red Sox. Part of the reason Heim Bloom was so hated in Boston, basically. Um, and for Pete Alonso, you're talking about the same thing, but less because as good as Pete Alonso is, Juan Soto is even better. Um, and for Soto, the difference though, so I, I don't know, basically Soto or Alonso would cost a significant amount and Soto more so, but given that they're only under team control for one more year, the cost would not be as high as you think. And it would still be a lot, but not as high as you think. And so what would it cost? I'm like, I'm not giving up uh, probably Kyle Harrison for either of those guys, especially Pete Alonso. I might do it. I definitely might do it for Soto if you felt like you could extend him, but I don't think that you would be able to. And so for moving on, like I can't give you an exact answer, but just know like, it's not, it just totally matters that they're entering their last year of team control. And for Soto, he's going to be making like over $30 million. So it's going to take up a lot of your payroll and it's only a one year guarantee. And then he's going to hit free agency and very possibly leave you. And so that's why teams just aren't willing to give up like insane packages for this type of situation. But for Trout, it's completely different because Mike Trout, like I said, is signed through 2030. He is signed uh, 
through 2030 with salaries, it looks like every year from here on out of $37.1 million. And so that's, you know, arguably, arguably an underwater contract at this point in time. What is it? 37. I can't do this math on the fly here, knowing how many years are remaining until 2030, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30. So seven years times uh, 37.1 equals what does this contract look like? It's a seven year, $260 million deal. Now, I'm not going to call that underwater, but you are, I am, we are talking about a guy who is, uh, gonna be 32 until August when he turns 33. So you're talking age 32, 33, 34, 35, 36, 37, and 38 seasons. So you're paying very much for the decline years when he's already dealt with frequent injuries over the last three seasons. I've, I've said this before, but over the last three seasons combined, I think the average games played is like 79. He's missed a ton of time with injuries. So it makes it complicated. So coming up in just a minute, we'll wrap up that question and get to more, including is Farhan Zaidi finally going to break character and sign a pitcher to a long-term deal this offseason? You won't want to miss what I have to say about that in just a minute. And before we get into it. All right, as promised, going to wrap up that question on Mike Trout. I just kind of, it's a complicated uh trade value situation with him given what everything I was saying and then we're going to get to more mailbag questions. Thanks again for making Locked on Giants your first listen every day. Every day or tomorrow on the show barring any uh actually when I say tomorrow, today's Friday. We're going to have two episodes today. And they're both going to be mailbags. So if you just want to, as soon as this one's done, check out the next one or wait till Saturday, however you'd like. Uh, But two mailbags coming out today because we didn't do yesterday because it was Thanksgiving. But um, by the way, Locked On has launched the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube. Locked On Sports Today is here for you. 24-7 covering the top stories of the day with the local experts of Locked On plus our national shows covering every league. Go to Locked On Sports today on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. Excuse me, I just bumped my microphone there if you heard that, Um, which I'm sure you did. Uh, anyway, getting back to the trout question, I didn't want to just cut that one short. It's complicated. What did I say? Seven years to 60. I think like the, the problem is from the angels perspective, they're not, they don't just want to give up Mike trout for nothing. And at that price, given his injury history the last few years and an increasing strikeout rate. Like he was a guy who was down in the low twenties and even high teens at his peak. And now he's kind of crept up closer to 30%, uh, still has enormous power, still very good overall. And absolutely you want Mike Trout on your team. Like there's just no doubt, but uh, given the injuries, a team's not going to want to give up much in the way of prospects when you're paying 
37 million dollars a year which is high i mean aaron judge i think is the highest paid position player per year at 40 million dollars so trout is pretty close there uh and you you might say well trout's just as good well but more of an injury concern and a little bit older i think or they're roughly the same age so i think it's kind of a market value contract in which case the angels would have to pay probably uh some of the money say they they bring it down to like 30 million a year or even in the 20s like 27 million a year and then they're going to get more and so that i feel like that would have to happen otherwise the angels wouldn't get much in return and they have really no reason to trade this guy and get nothing in return like in their perfect world like they should probably pay down as much as possible to get the maximum return in terms of players and so that makes it almost impossible to answer the question because it depends on how much money is involved but i think money would have to be involved anyway next question from bartlett who says will farhan zaidi break character and sign a pitcher to more than three years and i could give you a one sentence answer here yes i think he will and it makes me uh, i i just can't answer this question without saying that you have to believe there's legitimate regret on their side about not giving Gosman the contract that he ended up taking from the Blue Jays or any or even he, they probably could have offered him less than this and he would have come back. He wanted to return and he got five years, 110 million. And that contract just looks more and more reasonable by the day so far. He was a top three Cy Young finisher this season. He's done nothing but continue to be excellent like he was with the Giants when he was here. Um, and they would, it's like they wouldn't do a five year deal for him. There were, you know, he was a two pitch pitcher. I think there was some concern about that. He also really struggled in the second half of 2020. Uh, won his last year here had some personal stuff going on I think as well but man he's just been a workhorse in Toronto and he's been really good in Toronto across across two seasons now Kevin Gosman by the way 3.25 ERA strikeout rate 30 percent 359 and two-thirds innings three years to go but at uh three years 66 million I mean it's just such a reasonable thing uh and you know, he could have, you know, he's been a like five win pitcher, according to fielding independent pitching, according to actual results, a little bit less than that. He's kind of underperformed the peripherals. But regardless, I'm saying, man, you wouldn't do five years for Gosman. And now you're talking about some of these guys like Aaron Nola at age 31, just got a seven year contract. Yoshinobu Yamamoto, uh, who knows how many years it's going to take for him. But the strength of this free agent class is starting pitching. Farhan Zaidi has talked about how this offseason, their goal is more so going to be less short-term deals, less, less opt-outs, and just more kind of continuity with the players they bring in, not having guys just kind of in and out of the revolving door. And I think part of that is ownership saying, look, we gave you your way, and your way is not only hasn't worked the last couple seasons, but also fans are not happy. And so, uh, you know, if ownership wants something, they're the ones in charge. And I think that given that the strength of this class is starting pitching and there's so many guys who deserve and will get more than three years, then 
I see the Giants signing one of them. And, you know, one of the guys who makes the most sense is Yoshinobu Yamamoto, and he's 25. And so it could be way more than three years when you're talking about a guy that young. So anyway, the next question, and I just say yes. That's my prediction. More than three years, yes, for, for a starting pitcher. Ken says, how many extra wins would Shohei Otani add to the Giants? Would he alone make the Giants a 90 to 92 win team? Compare first year as full DH versus being a two-way player. And as a two-way player, I think that he alone does in fact put them in the realm of a 90 win team. And that's the thing that I've always said about like the Angels versus the Giants. The Angels are like worse than the Giants and they have Otani and Trout. The Giants are like finishing around 500 the last couple of years and they don't have any of those kinds of guys. And so it's a different situation. But this year, this is crazy. This year, Shohei Otani, according to Fangraphs, was worth 6.6 wins above replacement with his bat alone, not counting his pitching. But that's a career high. The year prior... 3.8 the year before that 5.1 and he basically played I mean this year he missed more time than he did in either of the other two years and he was it was by far his best season with the bat I mean this year he hit 304 412 on base 654 slugging hit 44 home runs just insane just insane and so when we take let me just average those three seasons even though you know there was some injuries to take into account this year but we're talking about a guy who averaged about 5.2 wins above a replacement level player just with his bat in the last three years. And so if you say the Giants are, I mean, obviously there are some players reaching free agency, but not many of significance for the Giants. I think right now signing him maybe takes you to a mid 80s win team. But when you add in pitching, oh, when you add in pitching, uh, this year, I'm, I like runs allowed per nine war as opposed to like just war on fan graphs, which uses fielding independent pitching. This year, Otani was limited to 132 innings, ended up requiring Tommy John surgery. But this year, 3.8 runs allowed per nine wins above replacement. I know that's a mouthful in 132 innings. Last year, 6.2. So you look at 6.2 with his pitching last year, in addition to like four with his bat. So that's about 10 wins. So when you're talking 10 wins, I mean, you're talking like Barry Bonds. You're talking like peak Mike Trout. You're just talking about the best player in the game. And so he's roughly a 10 win player at this point. And so if the Giants are coming in around 80 wins, then yeah, he does make you a 90 win team when He's pitching and when he's hitting simultaneously. But, you know, we don't know exactly how he'll return to form when he comes back and pitches. But with just his bat, I mean, he was so good this uh, season. And by the way, the projection, let me just talk about the steamer projection, uh, has him as a four-win player for 2024. And so... You know, I what did I say? 5.2 is what he's averaged the last few years. 
four is the projection. So I don't know, call it four to five wins just on his bat alone, which is tremendously crazy when you talk about as just a DH. I mean, it means you're one of the, he, he was the best hitter in the game this year. And projections have him continuing to be like, if not the best, one of the best hitters in the game, but providing no defensive value and still adding that kind of impact is pretty remarkable. But just in 2024, there are probably players out there who will provide more impact because Otani, as great as he is, he's not doing anything but hitting in 2024. But once he starts pitching again, ooh, man, you're talking, like I said, about Barry Bonds, Mike Trout. You're just talking about all-time kind of most impactful players that there are. So coming up in just a minute, more questions and answers. We're going to get into the surplus of third base options for the Giants. And does it mean, does it mean they might trade a guy like Wilmer Flores? We'll answer that question and a few others in just a minute. And before we do, All right. As promised, more questions and answers. Thanks again for making Lockdown Giants your first listen every day. Every day is not tomorrow, but later on today, we're going to have a second mailbag episode. So uh, listen today for a whole hour of Lockdown Giants content or tomorrow or over the weekend, whatever you want. Uh, So look out for that. But the next question comes from... Who does it come from? Nico, who says, given the influx of third base options, J.D. Davis, Wilmer Flores, Casey Schmidt, Marco Luciano, and potential signing of Matt Chapman, as just an example, does it make sense to trade Flores now while his value is high? Maybe for some bullpen and middle infield depth and could they also package Conforto slash Hanniger in there too? So I do think that trading Conforto or Hanniger could end up making a lot of sense given the well-documented, I've talked about this a million times, crowd they have in the outfield. It's kind of outrageous how many like fine but not great outfielders that they have. And even if you move some to DH, and then you're talking about uh, also not even accounting for some young guys like Luis Matos and Tyler Fitzgerald. It's crazy. But third base, you've got a somewhat similar situation. And it's somewhat similar, too, in the sense that you've got a lot of guys who are like, okay, they're fine, but also uh, no one's blowing your socks off in terms of their expected production. But they're not also going to you know, be terrible necessarily, especially when we're talking, I don't know. I, Flores, I don't think he really is a third baseman. Um, and so that, I, I think he's, he's a first baseman is like the position that he can play and he could also DH. Uh, but his value is high in fact, because he just like, unlike all the rest of the giants, he was immune to this slump that everyone went into for the final four months of the season, three, four months of the season. And he just had uh, basically the best year of his career, the best offensive year of his career, the best overall year of his career. Hit 284, 355 on base, 509 slugging, 23 home runs was a career high, strikeout rate just 14%, actually 13.9. Unbelievable season Wilmer Flores just had. And so in my opinion, I, I don't want them to trade him. I don't think other teams will put 
enough value on him or even if they do he's just not the guy i want to be the odd man out even if you could get a good return i just think he has a lot of value to the giants but there is definitely a log jam situation and it it, it it's all over the place i wouldn't necessarily call it third base because again i don't i don't want wilmer flores playing third like to put it bluntly and this year he played only 131 innings at third base versus uh, 415 at first base by games played 61 at first 41 at dh 22 at third so we're talking 102 games at first and dh and 20 so about a fifth of the playing time at third versus first and dh and so i would expect that kind of to continue um but if you did sign a matt chapman that kind of pushes J.D. Davis over to first slash D.H. And then that creates a bit of a, I don't like that word redundancy because they're both, they both have value, but it's, it's more of a log jam and you don't really have room, but I'd rather probably trade a J.D. Davis. Honestly, if you signed like a Matt Chapman, then a Wilmer Flores, but so, and anyway, for, for just depth, relief pitching depth and middle infield depth i I just i mean i get what you mean like middle like someone to cover that shortstop spot like as insurance for luciano i just don't want to trade wilmer flores i just think he's too he's like one of he's a fan favorite not doing it for me i and instead just trade one of the outfielders and find a way to fit flores and if you've got to trade an infielder i think davis makes more sense or it's just more expendable to the giants Next question from Aiden, who says, in a more general sense, uh, can you explain how the two defensive measuring systems uh, can differ so much on players like Pete Alonso? And when they do differ, which one do clubs favor? And so when you say the two, I think you're referring to an answer I gave or like a comment I made just the other day talking about Pete Alonso and I was looking at his defensive metrics and I was like these two numbers don't agree and I believe what I was discussing was defensive runs saved and outs above average and so yeah defensive runs saved has Pete Alonso in his career starting in 2019 at plus five defensive runs saved as a first baseman whereas stat cast outs above average has him at minus 16 now one thing to keep in mind is outs above average is different than defensive runs saved and defensive runs saved is just to give like a full explanation here is kind of presented in runs above average so five runs above average according to uh, defensive runs saved for alonzo versus Statcast not only has outs above average, but they also have runs above average, and it's minus twelve. But so that's still a big discrepancy. It's just smaller, a little bit smaller than it was with outs above average. But it's the same tool that's saying he's not good. However, this season, Statcast said he was average. So it's kind of fluctuate. Not only has it fluctuated, or like differed between the two metrics, but it's it fluctuates year to year. So in general, defensive metrics like these should be taken in larger samples and not like single season samples. 
as far as I understand, like they just because they're they're just imperfect uh, tools. And so the one thing I'll say is that defensive run saved, believe it or not, like people act like the computer, like the you know, I don't think most I think most baseball fans and even a lot of like baseball analysts don't really understand how something like defensive run saved is calculated. But it's done by human beings in a town in Pennsylvania, um, Sports Info Solutions. And they they basically just uh, watch all these different plays and they kind of rate the difficulty and compare. I don't know. I don't know exactly how it's done, but human beings are heavily involved in the process. Whereas StatCast outs above average, runs above average, that is actually done entirely by the StatCast system. And the thing about the StatCast system is that it's very sophisticated. It's the same like technology. If you ever watch like professional tennis and you see them with the replays of, you know, is the ball in or out? And it can just tell like down to the millimeter, centimeter, just like tiny. It can just see that's what we're now using for the strike zone too. You when you when it zooms in, you can see like, did it just miss? the box. So for these, I mean, how can they differ? Honestly, what I would look at, like for the stat cast metric, it break, it can break it down into different categories and defensive run saved can as well. Like, is it about range? Is it about your arm? Is it about picks as a first baseman? Sometimes like, I think some of the metrics don't even incorporate picks like scoops out of the dirt and some do, and so, and then in terms of what do teams value more, honestly, I think it's probably trended more towards StatCast because this is like a totally objective system. Um, and it's also, like I said, it's done by this like Hawkeye radar system that is like used in fighter jets. I think it's like some really high tech stuff here uh, that they use for this. And when all is said and done, though, if there's a discrepancy and you're not sure, I would rely on scouting. I would rely on my scouts who watch the Mets and say, what What do you think? And hopefully it's a good scout who's not just like, you know, someone who's really paying attention and, and looking at range and looking at all the different things that go into defense. And so I've, I you know, defensive run saved is a huge step in the right direction away from just fielding percentage. But I think the stat cast ones have kind of taken over for me, at least as a preference, just uh, in general among the two, but I'm not positive. I, I don't, I'd have to ask someone working for a team. Like they, they probably have their own proprietary defensive metrics to be honest. And so, but I think stat cast is better. And, but how do you explain it? I don't know exactly. I don't know. It depend. It break. I would break it down and see what, where is the discrepancy. If you if you can break it down by throwing range picks, uh, you know errors, all that kind of stuff. Anyway, that is all the time we have for today. Thanks again for making Lockdown Giants your first listen every day. Every dayers, we're gonna have another mailbag episode coming out today on Friday, so be on the lookout for that. Locked On has launched the first ever national sports twenty four seven streaming channel. On YouTube, Locked On Sports Today is here for you 24-7, covering the top sports stories of the day with the local experts of Locked On. 
plus our national shows covering every league. Go to Locked On Sports today on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. Anyway, once again, my name is Ben Kaspik. Check me out on Twitter at Ben Kaspik, K-A-S-P-I-C-K. If you like the show, please consider rating it or leaving a review. Helps me out a lot, so thanks in advance, and thanks to everyone who's done so already. Can't wait to be with you again later on today. So thanks again for listening. You are now Locked on Giants.